today we are going to finish our series that we're calling Christianity's Greatest Questions. And this week we're going to talk about the problem of hypocrisy to finish out the series. So, have you ever heard that the church is full of hypocrites? I think this is a significant practical barrier for people, the hypocrisy of the church. You know, we've talked about a few things like you get science versus religion, and, and that for some people is significant, but it's not something that's, that comes up with every conversation. But it seems like the hypocrisy in the church is something that is a barrier for people coming to faith. It's very important, very significant that we understand hypocrisy and how to walk uh, with God, being flawed people, being imperfect people, but not being hypocrites. And to start off this sermon, I want to say something kind of tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's not something that uh, is theologically accurate, but I'm saying it in a particular way so that you can remember what I'm talking about. But don't build a theology on it because the theology is wrong, okay? So I'm just warning you ahead of time. So here we go. What do you think God's biggest mistake was? Well, it might be what happened in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to the masses of people that are following him, that are listening to him, that are interested in what he has to say. He says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. So he says to the masses, to the ones who are following him, he says, you are the light of the world. To me, this seems like a strategic error. Why would he make us the light of the world? But he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. We are the light of the world. So basically what Jesus is saying here is that we are the representation of God to this world. The people who are following Jesus, who claim to be Christians, we are the ones who bring the truth of God to this world. So this is talking about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So what does that mean? Uh, I've heard some strange uh, interpretations of salt of the earth. Uh, and I, I just want to straighten that out here. So some people, it seems like they're like, you know, we're the spice, you know, it kind of has a sassiness thing to it. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's what that means. So I, I looked into the Old Testament to see what does the word salt mean to the Jewish people. And Salt had a very important purpose in the Old Testament. You know, Solomon was the richest man in the history of the world. If we were to put him into today's world, he would be way richer than the richest man because he had such an incredible amount of the world's riches. Solomon was by far the richest man that's ever lived, and Solomon did not have a refrigerator. So preserving food was a difficult thing in those days. And salt was used as a preservative. You know, you know, I'm sure it made stuff taste better too, but 
It was a preservative. It helped food last. And so looking into the Old Testament, you see some interesting phrases like an everlasting covenant of salt. Everlasting covenant of salt. That seems like a weird thing to say. But salt got a symbolic meaning of something that preserved, something that lasted. And so if it was an everlasting covenant, then salt was the thing that indicated this was a covenant that's going to continue. It's not a short-term thing. It's a long-term thing. Even to the point where if the nation of Israel crushed some city that they were at war against and they really didn't like them at all, then they would, after they destroyed the city, they would throw salt on it. Why would they do that? They would throw salt on it to say, this city has been destroyed and it will never be rebuilt. We're preserving the destruction of this city. It won't be rebuilt. So salt had a symbolic meaning of a preservative. Something would would last. And so there's something that we, the followers of Christ, we're to preserve something. We're to let something continue and not deteriorate. And we are the ones who are to preserve the light, the truth of God. So the truths of God, we preserve and bring from generation to generation. We preserve the truths of God, the ways of God in our lives. And we allow that to continue from generation to generation. That's what we're called to do. We are salt and light. We preserve the truth. So that's what we're supposed to do. And I think it's amazing that God put that in our court. I mean, That's a heavy responsibility to preserve the truths of God. He gives that to people. That's why I say that might be a big mistake. Because what if we mess that up? What if we cause a problem? If we allow the truths of God to deteriorate? If we don't carry the truth, but we give something else to this world. But the reality is that we are the ones who God has called the followers of Jesus, all of us, 2.3 billion people around the world. We are called to preserve the truths of God in our own lives, in our communities, and in the generations to come. We're to pass that on. This is God's plan. And so we need to be aware of that and understand what happens if we fail. And this, of course, is the problem of hypocrisy. The Hypocrisy in the church when Christians don't act like Christians, when they fail God, when they pretend to be more than they are, then it drives people away from God. It's a barrier between people and God when God's people act in hypocrisy. Let's look at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, and see this uh, explained. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, or we, we would say if you call yourself a Christian, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So, you know, the Apostle Paul is playing this up. If you think you're so hot and you got it all figured out, Because you're so close to God. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
This is a quotation from the Old Testament, I believe in Ezekiel and Isaiah. It says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And what this is saying is that when God's people fail, especially with regards to hypocrisy, when God's people walk in hypocrisy, it doesn't just make people who don't know God angry at them, but they also get angry at God. They also blaspheme God. It drags the name of God through the mud when we walk in hypocrisy. So this is a very, very significant issue. And how many people have you heard say, you know, like, well, I would, I would think about it, but wow, what a bunch of messed up people. You know, what a bunch of hypocrites. And they stay away. It's a barrier for people. So we need to be very careful and not walk in hypocrisy. This was a challenge for me because, you know, not to overstate it, but you know, my people were pretty functional people that I came from, you know, professional people kind of had their life in order and they didn't have God. And then I got in with the God people and their lives are a mess. I'm just like, how can you with God's help be so much worse off than the people I knew who don't have God? It doesn't make any sense. Like God should be helping you to not be that messed up. And yet I'm looking at my people living functional lives and everything seems to be working. And then I look at God's people and it's like, ooh, and that's not okay. We need to be more than conquerors. We need to be overcomers. Because let me tell you, the opposite is also true. If we walk in hypocrisy, we will push people away from God. But if we walk in the goodness of God, in the power of God, in the strength of God, then we will draw people to God. Let's go to the gospel of John chapter 17. Verses 20 and 21, the gospel of John chapter 17, we read in men's group last Wednesday night, and uh, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And here's a little piece of it. John 17, 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them alone. Jesus was praying for his disciples that were on earth at that time. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's the believers in Jesus in the future. So that's, that's us, you know, the ones who believe. So Jesus is praying for us. This, I think, is very exciting. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for his followers in the future, which is us now, those who believe in Jesus now, that we would be one, that we would stand together that we would love one another, that we would encourage each other, we would root for each other, we would be there for each other, that we would live out the truths of God together, you know, strengthening one another so we can do this effectively. Why? So that the world may believe. If we stand together, we will attract people to God. If we live in the overcoming power of God, the strength of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the joy and peace of God, if we can grab hold of those things, live them out and do that together, then we will be a magnet for people who don't know God to come in and find God. So hypocrisy pushes people away from God and people living in the victory that Christ brings, brings people to God. So we want to live in the victory. We want to live in the goodness of God. We want to be 
functioning Christians who are living out the truth of God. And then if we're doing that, you know, we don't need to do marketing. So why do people think that the church is full of hypocrites? Well, let's share a few thoughts about that. But first, I want to say one more thing. Here's my controversial statement. Cloquet doesn't need to hear about Jesus. Minnesota doesn't need to hear about Jesus. The United States doesn't need to hear about Jesus. And most of the world doesn't need to hear about Jesus. They need to be shown the life change that will happen when you put your faith in Jesus. They need to see what new life in Christ, what being born again, what that means. They need to see the overcoming power of the renewed mind walking with God. They need to see it, not just hear it. You know, I've got a smartphone. This morning, you know, I I was having some spiritual time, but I was also making sure to set my final lineup for my fantasy football team. And so I know there's satellites in the sky flying around and there's information beamed back and forth and that sort of thing. And that somehow it comes onto my phone and I can make my fantasy team how I want and hit save. But I don't really know how that works. You know what I mean? But I know that it does. I have a better idea of how cars work, but still there's a whole lot of details in how the engine goes and the that I don't really understand. But I know when I hit the gas, I go forward. When I hit the brakes, I stop. You know, I know that. I don't have to have all the information. How does somebody who has never set foot in a church, they haven't been raised in a Christian environment, how do they know whether or not Christianity works? By looking at the Christians and seeing what happens in their life. When they go through a hardship, when they face an obstacle, when they have the opportunity to either show forgiveness or turn bitter, when they look at the Christians, they'll find out whether or not Christianity works. This is why it's so important to grab hold of the ways of God, to really, truly, and honestly believe in God and try to grab hold of the ways of God to be learning and growing so that we can get there because it's good for us and it shows God to be who he is. So why do people believe that the church is full of hypocrites? Let's have a few thoughts here. So is it, are we like 90% hypocrites? You know, I see a lot of good people who are endeavoring to serve God the best they know how, flawed people, imperfect people, but really honest trying to serve Jesus, sacrificially serving Jesus in a lot of cases. Is this 90% hypocrisy? I don't think so. I really don't. But let me tell you, bad Christians get more press. When somebody does something crazy, you know, like picket a funeral with obscenities, they're going to get more press than just a normal Christian who's living life and being nice and helping people. And it's just not that noticeable. For example, How many positive experiences do you have in life that you don't remember the next day? But the terrible experiences you can remember for your whole life. Bad Christians, these absolute hypocrites, they are very visible. And of course, there's too many examples of that, but they get a lot more press than everybody else. Let me tell you this. Bad Christians, hypocritical Christians will pay. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Hypocrites, people who are pretending to be following God, but they really aren't, they're deceptive, those people are going to pay. 
We'll get at that in a little bit. So first point, I think, is that bad Christians get more press. Second thing that's important to understand is with Christianity and for us at Good Hope Church, here's the deal. We'll take anybody. We don't have a system for weeding out the people. You're not good enough for Jesus, so get out. We don't do that. We take anybody. Why is that? Because Jesus died for everyone, and he loves everyone, and we're with him. Now, we've got our processes, our vetting process, and that sort of thing. We don't let anyone teach Sunday school, for example. You know, like, you you have to progress to the place to be used by God in certain ways. But you can be here, you can belong, you can get a hug, you can be loved by Jesus and forgiven, doesn't matter who you are, we'll take anybody. And yet, then, people will judge the congregation, judge the church, by who's there. Like, oh, that's this bottom-tier person at that church. Oh, Nobody does that at Walmart. Like, I'm never shopping at Walmart again. Did you see those people? You know, like, nobody does that. But they do that at churches. They look at the congregation like, oh, those aren't perfect people. Well, here's the deal. We're not going to stop welcoming everyone. We are going to continue to take all comers. We're going to teach them to learn the ways of God, to get over all that stuff, to rise up, and then be able to make a difference. We're going to teach them that. Anybody can come. Jesus died for everyone. And so sometimes people will look at the church and they'll see, wow, there's a bunch of messed up people. But the reality is we'll take anybody. We'll take bottom level, total rock bottom people because Jesus loves them. So don't judge the congregation because there's rock bottom people. We're going to keep inviting them in. Another thing that we should say, there's been some new statistics that the people who say the church is full of hypocrites tend to be Christians, and the people on the outside have a different view. People that don't know anything about Christianity think church people are, you know, kind of morally upstanding, decent human beings, you know, unless they watch too much TV. But the opinion is pretty strong, pretty positive. And people are willing to have spiritual conversations, and they're even open to putting their faith in Christ. But a lot of times I see Christians say that the church is full of hypocrites as an excuse to not have to engage in serving Jesus. They use it as an excuse. And this is extraordinarily dangerous. Do not look at the flaws of other people and use that as an excuse to not serve Jesus. Because how's that going to go on judgment day? Well, you know, I was going to bear fruit for your kingdom, but I decided not to because those people are fools. That's not going to work. Don't bury your talent because somebody else is messed up. Go ahead and put your talent to work. Go ahead and bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Go ahead and lean in to your faith because you don't want to use this as an excuse. And then here's one that I think why people think the church is full of hypocrites. This might be somewhat true. They see Christians as unwilling to offer to others what they themselves are so willing to receive, the grace and forgiveness of God. You know, people saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, but you're a sinner, (laughs) a filthy, rotten. Well, if you're both in the same category, how come you're so angry at the other ones? That doesn't make any sense. You know, like either we believe in the forgiveness and the grace of God and we receive that and we extend that. Or if we only want it for us, but we're not willing to extend it to others, then that puts us in that hypocrisy camp. And Jesus deals with this in Matthew chapter 6, 
These are the two verses following the Lord's Prayer. It says this in 6, 14, and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's very positive. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So is this kind of an important, serious verse? If we want the forgiveness of God, we need to be willing to extend the forgiveness to others. It's very important. Because if we want something for us, but we're not willing to give it to others, then we put ourselves in that hypocrisy camp, and we don't want to be in that place. So, what is a hypocrite? You know, we're using that word, and I think it's very important for us to understand the difference between a hypocrite and just a flawed person. You know, because how many people in this room, how many Christians out there are perfect? Can you be imperfect and not be a hypocrite? Absolutely. You absolutely can be imperfect and not be a hypocrite. The bottom line is honesty. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something they're not. Someone who holds other people to a higher standard than they hold for themselves, but they pretend to be at that standard themselves. That's a hypocrite. And in Christianity, I think a a prideful person is also a hypocrite because that's seeing yourself as above and better than others. And in Christianity, we're all under sin. We're all in need of the forgiveness of God. There is no favoritism with God. We're on an even playing field. So we need to push pride as far away as possible because it absolutely leads to hypocrisy. When I was in a, uh, a pastor's conference one time, they were talking about being open about your, your flaws. And they said, make sure that you're open with your congregation about your flaws. The most important thing to realize is they already know what your flaws are. And they'll just be relieved to realize that you also know. And why is that? Because it's a lot easier to see the faults and the flaws in other people than it is in yourself. And so you're trying to cover up the flaws and make sure other people don't notice them. And they already know. You're the only one that's living in the dream that you're covering up your flaws. Everybody else can see them. So we need to make sure that we're open and honest. I might not be perfect, but I love Jesus. I might not be perfect, but I'm trying to serve the Lord as best I can. I'm trying to learn and grow and get better. I'm not going to position myself as the little Messiah who's going to help all of you. I'm just Mike. I'm trying to help you find Jesus and walk with him because I know he's your answer and I'm not. So I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not because I know I've got Jesus who is who he says he is. And so I can be a flawed follower of Christ and I can love you and encourage you and I can show you who is perfect and that's Jesus. And we can do that without being a hypocrite, even though we're flawed. I think that's so much better than trying to impress people with how spiritual we are and we're lying. That's a disaster. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus gives some examples of what hypocrisy is as he's chewing out the Pharisees and the religious leaders here in Matthew chapter 23. If you've ever wondered, how come they wanted to kill him? You know, like he was a nice guy. He fed people. He healed people. He told a bunch of riddles. It seemed pretty interesting. Why would they want to kill him? Well, just read Matthew chapter 23. You'll get a clear sense of that. So, Here, Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of the religious people of the day. 
And what we need to do is not look at that and go, yeah, they sure were messed up. But we need to look at it and check our own hearts and make sure we're not walking down the same road. So let's take a, a, just a few snippets. You can read the whole chapter because there's so much great stuff in there. But let's look at a few snippets. Matthew 23, verses 13 and verse 15. The same basic point. Here we go. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So these are strong words, saying, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You don't enter, and you won't let others enter who are trying to. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. When you do that, you make them them worse off than you are, twice as much a son of hell, a child of hell as you are. That's harsh. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to the religious elite, to the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, he's saying, you're missing God. And when people come to you because you're the leaders, they come to you to find God. But you're missing God. And then you're stopping them from finding God because you have no idea how to lead them into a relationship with God. So you're leading them into your own hypocrisy. You make them worse off than you are. So it's very, very important for us not to just be doing religion and doing church and trying to just meet the needs of other people by going through the motions because then we'll miss God. We won't understand the things of God. And then when somebody comes to us and wants to know about God, we'll have no ability to lead them in. We'll be a block to them because they'll think, well, if the Christians don't know how to find God, what am I supposed to do? And we'll be preventing people from coming in. So we need to have a real relationship with Jesus where we're seeing the truths of God. Here's my philosophy on preaching in 30 seconds or less. Find the life-changing truths of God in the scriptures, live them out for a while, and then talk about it. It's basically it. You don't need to learn a bunch of languages. You don't need to do all that stuff. Just do that. And I think that's the basics of witnessing to people as well. Find the truths of God, live it out, and then talk about it. What has God done for you? How has your life gotten better now that you've decided to forgive instead of hold grudges? What's changed? Just live it out. And then you can lead other people. So we don't want to be the sort that don't enter and that prevent others. Then jumping to verse 23, the same chapter here as another one of these ways that Jesus is chewing out these people. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he's saying you should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness, but you thought you were fine because you were tithing off your garden produce. Verse 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Fantastic verse there. What does he mean? You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Well, strain out a gnat, they were very, very nitpicky about making sure that they're tithing properly. So they even tithed off their garden, their dill that they grew, you know, their little spice garden. They brought in a tenth of that, you know, but they didn't care about justice. You know, like they were missing the most important things, but they thought they were justified in doing everything right because they had this little bitty thing right. But we don't want to swallow a camel 
while we're straining out a gnat. I think it's a fantastic thing. We don't want to, for example, get to where we're pitting one ministry against another, one church against another, and look at those little details when we're called to stand together, stand unified. Okay, one preacher maybe is doing something well, another's doing a different thing well. You might fit and, and connect with one over another, one church over another, one ministry over another. But let's not pit them against each other because now we've swallowed a camel. Now we brought division into the body of Christ instead of standing together, loving one another. We need to love one another as Christ has loved us. So we must love one another. So we want to do that. We don't want to miss that over some disputable matter, some little detail. It's so important to not swallow the camel. You can go ahead and strain out the gnat, but strain out the camel too. Then next couple verses, this is just classic hypocrisy. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. So what he's saying here is don't put on a front. Don't act all fine. Now go ahead and, and smile. You know, clean yourself up. Come to church. That's cool. That's not a pretense. But when you're, when you're telling people that everything is going great and you've got it all and and you don't, now you're in that place where you're, you're pretending, and the inside is dark, but the outside is a fraud. You don't want to be that. I told you earlier that hypocritical Christians will pay. This is what Jesus says at the conclusion of this chapter, verse 33. Jesus says this to this group, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Is anyone in here angry about the hypocrisy in the church? The people who drag God's name through the mud. God is angry about that too. And he will deal with them. So we need to not be them. Very, very important. And so now we will turn to the positive. (laughs) You ready to turn to the positive on this one? This is kind of like an elbow to the forehead. But here's the deal. There is a win-win that we can have. Because if we grab hold of abundant life in Christ, if we grab hold of the victory, if we read verses in the scriptures where Jesus says things like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and we think, I'm not experiencing that, I need to learn and I need to grab hold of it. And so we spend some time meditating on that and asking God how to get there. And then we finally get to that place of his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now our lives get better and the weary and burdened of this world are going to wonder, how did that happen for you? And we are going to live a better life. And we're also going to be a magnet for people to come in and find Christ. So we can have both. The life of a hypocrite is a bad life and it ends very poorly. A flawed person who's learning and growing who's honest and who loves Jesus and who loves others is someone God can use in powerful ways. Your life is better and you produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So you can have both. Don't believe the lie that you want God for your afterlife, but the devil's more fun in this one. That's just a bunch of baloney. It might be true for about eight hours and then it all falls apart. Because there is a hook. You know, it's like the the walleye coming up on that juicy nightcrawler. Look at that. There's a nightcrawler floating 12 inches off the bottom. 
That doesn't happen every day. It's my lucky day. And then the hook is set. So that's the lie of the enemy, that these things will bring you to a better place. They're not going to. They'll hurt you. So we need to believe that God's ways are better than our ways. We need to believe that the promises of God are real. And we need to live those out honestly. I prayed for healing. It didn't happen. I prayed for healing. It did happen. I prayed for healing. It didn't happen. Now what do I do? Be honest about it. Just look at it. Learn and grow. Don't blame anybody, but just say, wow, you know, I've seen God do miracles, but I've seen things not happen. So I don't know. And keep walking by faith. Don't pretend that you have all the answers. Just be honest. Love God and it'll work out. We're called to be overcomers that attract people to Jesus. Our closing verse is going to be Romans 12 2. We're going to pray on this one. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't pretend you're something and then you're just conforming to the bitterness and the ugliness of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to see into the will of God. But first, you've got to be renewed, transformed. This is what we want. We want to be living in the transformational gospel. Not excuse doctrines, not mere validation without life change, but we want to be new creations working through that process. So let's endeavor to be honest people who love Jesus, who are trying to walk in the ways of God. Sometimes we stumble, but we learn and grow. We pick each other up and we keep going forward, forgetting what's behind and striving forward towards the goal. Let's be that. It's better for us and it brings glory to God. Let's just seek the Lord on this. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Lord, thank you that you are merciful and gracious, that you are slow to anger, you are patient and kind. Lord, we need your forgiveness and your grace. So we thank you that you offer it to us. Help us, Lord, to extend that mercy, that grace, that forgiveness to others. Help us to protect our hearts. Lord, help us to walk in faith in the midst of terrible circumstances. Help us to be salt and light that we may preserve your truths in this world. Help us, Lord, to just honestly seek your ways, to not pretend to be something we aren't, but to confront those difficult things and to work through them in faith. And Lord, let us help each other, strengthen each other, build each other up so that we can demonstrate who you are to this world and live the abundant life that good life in you and also be able to bring your light to this world and share your truth with others and bring people to know you. Lord, bless us, give us strength, encourage us and be with us. Give us your peace, give us your joy and help us to fully receive of your love so that we can share that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.